Well, listen, gang, if you're just joining us, first of all, my name is Rob Singleton, and I'm the founding pastor here of Impact Church and the lead pastor, and we're doing a series called Impact. Thank you, um, and welcome. We're doing a series to try and let you all know what our DNA is. Uh, I mean, there's nearly a 1,000 churches in Charlotte and the surrounding areas, so what makes us different? Well, first of all, we really believe that we're called out to do the mission and purposes that God called us to do, but that he called every believer in every church to do and to be about. So we're going to go over that for the next four weeks. It's a five-week series. If you didn't get the first part, we're talking about the five foundational G's. For us, they're G's. They could be different letters they start with, but that's how we remember them. Uh, that are God's purposes for the church. And they are foundational. They do kind of build on one another. It's not that one or two or three are more important than the other two or three, uh, but they do build. And last week, we started with glorify, which is really worship. How do we worship? Again, raise your hand if you were here for that. Okay, if you were here for that last week, great. If you weren't, you need to get that one because, like I said, it's foundational. If you don't know how to worship uh, Jesus Christ alone as your Savior and if you've got something else on the throne of your heart that you're worshiping and you're trying to sort of mix it in there, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. You can't follow the purposes of God unless you start with worshiping God, the right God, the true God. So get that uh, podcast. You can just look up my name in iTunes and it'll come up. That's the quickest way to find Impact Church because there are 7 million Impact Churches. So you just want to go that way and find it. Today we're going to look at the scriptures again. I'm going to try and do this every week, that these purposes come from. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be moving pretty quick. The five purposes are taken from two key scriptures where we get this, and you've heard me say this before, where we get the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is found in several places. For example, Matthew 22, you really want to get this down, Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Matthew 22, 35 through 40 is one of the places, and uh, let me read to you what was going on here. One of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders, this guy was not a good guy. He was trying to test and, and trick Jesus with a question. So one of them, a lawyer, uh, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment? Some of your Bibles say, what's the greatest of all the commandments? They had 613 of these things. Some of you thought there were 10. Well, they went by 613. And he's just going, which one's the best? And the trick is obvious, gang. You're hoping that he'll elevate one over the other, and it'll be the wrong one, and it'll divide people and cause some disunity. But the fact is there is one that you can elevate above all the others, and it's the only one that works, and that's what Jesus gives them. You can't trick God. Have you ever tried? Give it up. You can't, you're not going to outsmart him or trick him. So here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus said, that's the greatest commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, some uh, another way to say that, and what it literally means in the Greek is on these commandments, especially that first one, hinge everything. On these commandments ride everything. On these commandments, everything rides on this, everything hangs on this, everything abides by this, everything hinges on this. So you got this commandment. Love the Lord your God uh, with all your heart, mind, soul, and some of your Bibles even say strength. Why does it say that all 613, 612 other ones, you don't even have to remember them if you just remember this one and you just live by it? Anyone want to take a chance on why that is? How could that be the only one that really matters? The pivotal one, the cornerstone commandment. You guys don't trust me, do you? Which hurts that you think. What's that? It pretty much does. I mean, if, if you love God that much, are you going to be going, God, I love you with all my heart, I worship you with all my soul, but I did kill five people today. I'm struggling, you know, and I have this murder. I mean, probably not, right? God, I just robbed a bank, but I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I, I can't get this robbing bank thing under control. I'm just, probably not, right? Because if you really, truly love God that much, those things are just going to fall in line. They just are. You're going to be like Jesus. There's no other commandment that is like that. So it's pretty easy to see why this is pivotal and why this is a main one. And two of our purposes are found right here, worship and giving uh, of ourselves, our gifts, our talents, our ties. We identify them, like I said before, with G words. Last week's worship is, anybody remember? Glorify, pretty good. Uh, again, get that because it's foundational. Uh, the G word for today is found in a different passage, and it's also found in several places. So the last chapter of Matthew, last couple of verses, 1920, I think it is, and Jesus said, go and make disciples. Now, he's leaving. 
He's going to ascend up into heaven. These are the last words he says on earth while he's still here. So you know you're leaving. you got parting words. You'll never see physically these people again. Then what you say is going to be pretty important. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. By the way, I'll give you a hint. The G word was already in there. You guys are sharp, so think about it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's another one in there. Teach them to, to be my disciples, to obey the commands that I have given you. The third one is in there, too. We're going to talk about those. But the very first word I said is what we're going to talk about today. Go. The three that are in there, gang, are go, gather, and grow. Go, gather, and grow, and give are the ones that we're going to talk about in the next four weeks. Today, it's go. First, let me give you an easy way to remember all of these. Some of you are going, go, give, gather, gallop. Oh, I can't. I can't. I would go, give, uh, groups. No, I can't. So if, and by the way, I think that's an amazing cop-out. Yeah, I would know the purposes of impact, Pastor, if I could only remember them. It's five G's. How many of you, raise your hand, have graduated high school? I'm pretty sure you had tougher stuff than this. I really am. But just in case you have not, I'm going to say something. I wanna, I'm going to have confidence you guys can repeat it. Look up. Look out. Look at, oh, everybody looked up. Wow, that's, no, just, this, just for you to remember. No, look up, look out, look in. Now you say it. Thank you, 13 of you, for saying that. But let's do this. Look up, look out, look in. All of our purposes are in that. Really, I didn't hear a single G, Pastor. You weren't listening careful enough. Write this down. If you can't remember the Gs, which, again, I think is pretty weak, but if you can't remember them, they're in that. Just remember to look up. That's glorify. That's looking up to God, right? Look out. That's going to be others-focused. So that's today a part of that. Go, and it's give. Right? Because those aren't very self-focused, are they? If we go and evangelize and tell us about Jesus, that's without yourself. If we give, that's about others. And the finally, look in. Now we're talking about ourselves, and that's to grow, and that's to gather. So look up, look out, look in, and you'll remember them. The last thing I want to give you is a healthy, that's kind of the what, all right? That's kind of the what of who we are and what the purposes are, but how about the how? Gang, some of you are going, man, that's pretty slick. I like that, Pastor. Where'd you come up with that? I didn't. Those are the same five purposes that any church ought to be about. Those are the same five purposes that Rick Warren follows out in, in California. He didn't make them up. You know who made them up? Who wants to take a guess? Who made those five purposes up? Jesus, yeah. It was a, I think it was, a, it, was a, it was a kid who said that. Jesus, he's right. These, these are Jesus' words. These are his purposes. They've been the same for 2,000 years. And so, how do we apply these? How do churches know these simple things and yet not do them? Well, I think either people try to do too much and they get burned out, or they try to do too little and they're not completely well-rounded or fulfilled in the Lord. So, our how at Impact Church is worship plus two. Now, if you're taking notes, write that down, because that's really key. Take a, it's taken me years of ministry to figure this out, but if you are serving in like seven, eight, nine different ministries, you're going to get burned out. I think if you're serving in two or three ministries, you're going to get burned out. So around here, we want you to serve, we want you to find your giftedness, your spiritual giftedness, and serve in one ministry, one. We want you to be a part of a life group because most of discipleship and most of growing deeper takes place in smaller groups, not bigger ones. Gang, this group's going to grow, already has. It's going to grow pretty quickly, and you're not going to be able to really talk to each other and get your questions answered and fellowship in a group of a couple hundred, 300, 500, 1,000. You're not going to be able to do that. So you have to do that in smaller groups. And when we worship as a church, Hebrews tells us, I believe Paul's the author of Hebrews, says don't forsake the gathering together for worship and for hearing the teaching uh, of God's Word and all. Well, that's the worship part of it. So worship plus two, what do you think it is? When the building is open for worship, we're here. It's a priority. We're here together as a body worshiping. And the plus two is we serve in one area, volunteer, Gang, especially as a launch phase. I mean, what we're trying to develop here is a team of an army of servants that's going to serve however God decides to take this church. However big he makes it, this is the army that we're building right now that's going to serve. That doesn't mean that, you know, if we grow to 2,000 or 3,000, that all of them, we bring them their coffee and we serve them their donuts and feed them grapes and fan them. That's not what it's going to be. We hope they all come in and get it and serve. But to kick it off right, we need an army of servants. So you serve in one group, and you join a life group. 
worship plus two. That's the healthiest recipe. That's the best way that I know, that I've found over the years, to take the five purposes that we're talking about in this series and how. Live them out. Tell you how you do it. Well, when I was going, I was about 18 years old. I was out of high school, and I remember hearing this guy talk about how successful he was selling these door-to-door. Is anybody in here dumb enough to do door-to-door sales? Somebody like, I still do that. That's my job, Pastor. Thanks. So, I, I, wow, the, half the sound people do did door-to-door. What does that say? Yeah, <laughs> nothing. So I did door-to-door sales because what happened was I, I desperately needed money because I was in college. I know you can relate to that. Any college students here? They all went back, I guess. Well, you need money when you're in college. Desperately need money unless the, the bill is being footed by somebody else, which I doubt is the case. I needed money, and I knew he was making money. And, and what it was was a Goodyear repair thing. It's this card, this little thing you buy, and if you, you I don't even remember <laughs> what the ripoff was, but something like buy, paying $50, and they would get like $300 worth of, you know, different services done if they got it done within a year or two, and they'd check it off this card. You follow me? It's not hard. You know, how do you do it? How does the card work? It doesn't matter. This is what I was selling door to door. And, and he would sell them, and the commission you're getting on this was incredible. I needed money, so I, I decided to do it. And he promised to turn me into something that I wasn't previously, a crack salesman. I never sold anything. I didn't know how to sell. So, and plus, I looked at him, and, and he was a little bit greasy and a little bit shady, but I thought, if you can do it, I can do it. I could probably do it honest. You know, instead of doing it the way that you're doing it. So I started out. I'm going to tell you about four categories of people. I'm not going to explain them. I'm just going to tell you and see if you would walk away from the door-to-door sales business. I met nearly naked middle-aged woman more than once at the door. And I'm getting, I'm not, I wish I was making this up so bad because I'm 18. It happened more than once. It's one of those things when you knock on the door and ring on the bell and they say, hold on, hang on, hang on, hold on, I'll be right there. It takes like five minutes. And when they get there, they're nearly naked. You're like... Usually when people hold on, you put clothes on, right? You don't take them off, but this is what happened. It was really freak. Come on in, sit down, honey, and we'll talk. I'm not going to talk anymore about some of you freaking out. You got kids in here. Next thing I met quite a bit was cuss out dude. What are you doing in my yard? What are you doing here? Bleep, 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 bleep. I'm so gone. Then I met gun-toting dude. I mean, I get it. You know, you're protecting your property. I'm just trying to knock on your door and get a few questions. To have a gun in my face is intimidating a little bit for my, and finally, date my daughter, lady. Date my daughter. Come in. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll buy that. Hey, I want you to meet somebody. I'm not kidding. I mean, that's not a very, that's not a mom that's really looking high for her, setting high standards for her daughter. Hey, I want you to connect with this door-to-door salesman. He's got high hopes, high aspirations in there. So anyway, after a while, I decided to quit because I was lucky to get out. This is, by the way, in Los Angeles that I'm going door-to-door. So I'm like, well, thank God you're alive pastor. Thank, thank God you made it. Well, I no longer wanted to follow this guy because I went with him a few times and I found out that he cheated and he misled and he stole instead of paying out the guys that were working for him. And he used every cheating tactic I can think of to do these things. And I knew that if I followed him and long enough, that I'd start possibly doing some of these things. If I followed him long enough, maybe I'd be like him. And the biggest reason wasn't the danger for getting out of it. The biggest reason was I didn't want to be like that guy. So, here's the question I have for you. Many of you claim to be Christ followers. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands in here, but I know a lot of you claim to be Christ followers. A lot of you are obviously Christ followers, and um, kind of wondering if you read the fine print. When you signed up, when you became a believer, I'm going to pause for a moment. I want you to think. Think back to when you became a believer, if you're a believer. Just think a minute. When was that? Where was that? What was it like? Did you read the fine print? When you became a Christ follower, did you, did you make sure you checked everything out? You ever sign a contract that's a lot of pages and you just get tired of how much time you're spending, so you just start, taint, you know, you're signing away and you, you don't know what, I hope you read the fine print because there is some in there. Some of you I know did not read the fine print because you mentioned things like fire insurance. I know I got that. You know, I became a Christian and now I'm not going to hell anymore, so Okay, so you saw the big print stuff. You saw the fire insurance. Good. Uh, I know better character. Some of you say, well, I, I'm going to be, I'll be a better person. Okay, that's a little smaller print, but you saw that. Uh, more successful in life and so forth. 
Okay, so you saw Joshua, the one verse in there. What is Joshua 24? A lot of you have this memorized. Which one's that? I will give you success. What? Okay, good. None of you have that one memorized. But So some of you know that there's a possibility for that. So you go, I saw that. That's in huge print. I might be successful, and God wants to give me success, so that's cool. Uh, I want to have better character. Uh, here's something I don't see thrown in a lot. Here's something I do not see thrown in a lot. You never throw in the one thing that Jesus actually promised if you follow him. He said, come follow me, and here's a guarantee. Here's something I'll do. You sign up for this, and I'll do this. If you mean it, I will do this. You guys are going to love it. Here's the deal. Come join me in. You will be able to buy government properties for pennies on the dollar. Did you read that? You'll be able to buy foreclosed homes worth millions for maybe 100000 and turn them over and resell them and make millions yourself. Did you read that? Have you? Now, I do want to see a show of hands. How many of you have ever seen an infomercial like that and did it? Come on. You bought the books. You went through the program of how to buy the stuff and become a millionaire. You're just not going to admit it. I know there's someone in here that did it. I'll wait. I can outweigh you anytime. Nobody's ever. Okay, how many people have ever bought anything on an infomercial? And none of it had to do with how you can improve your life or how you can sell things. Or, All right, I want you to take note of those hands. They were all trying to sell something. They all bought something like that. Well, listen, there's fine print with Jesus. He made a promise for his followers, and you need to know it just to make sure that you don't feel bait and switched by the Son of God. Here it is. It's actually in Matthew 4.19 if you want to check it out, just so you can read his contract and not mine. Go ahead, turn there, Matthew 4.19. Here's his promise. You're going to love this. You guys don't seem excited, but you are going to love this promise. He's going and looking for disciples. Anybody know what the word disciple means? Follower, that's what it means. It just means follower. You can be a disciple of anyone. David Koresh had disciples. They just followed him. They just followed him. I think it's dumb to follow him. There was another guy, I don't even remember his name, who had everybody dressed in black and wear Nike tennis shoes and said, follow the comet. So they rode that off. I don't think that turned out to be a good ride. You can follow it. They were disciples of those people. But Jesus said, you're going to love this. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Did you know he promised that? That's a guarantee. You follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Some of you are going, that's not high on my list. That's, um, that's great. I, I, I don't fish. I don't, I don't, I don't like worms. I don't put them on, I, I said, I don't get it. But you follow Jesus, and if you're lucky enough to sign up and read the fine print, you can give up your former way of life, put everything else second to him, center your life around him. You can be, by the way, I read and what I've seen here, here's the fine print, you can be ridiculed. The possibility you go to other countries, you'll be beaten, maybe imprisoned, possibly killed if you follow him. If you make it, you can rise to the ranks of E2 Seaman Apprentice. What do you think? Anybody here in the Navy? Are any Marines, ex-Marines? They usually admit it. I mean, they're ooh-ah, and they're up and okay. Does anybody realize that we have a military in this country? Okay, just what I'm dealing with here. Well, that's like the lowest class you can, one of the lowest classes. E1, I think, is the lowest one. And they're topping off, who's recruiting gang for this fisherman thing? Who is doing this, Jesus? What is he, as far as everybody's concerned? A crack fisherman? No, he's a carpenter. He builds things, puts things together, helps on houses. So here's a carpenter talking to people he's probably had a couple conversations with, maybe he doesn't know it all, and he's walking by these expert fishermen, and he's saying, hey, it's me again, the carpenter. Hey, listen, put that down. I know you're making it. By the way, they built up several of them. You can read elsewhere in Scripture in the New Testament. And their fishing business was a generational business, and it was probably pretty lucrative, and they really knew what they were doing. So here's this carpenter who said, stop doing that, and I can teach you to do that better anyway. But even above that, I will teach you to be fishers of men. Fishers of men who you can't even eat. Not supposed to anyway. Although I hear they taste good with bath salts. Ooh, that's what, never mind, we don't have time to go into that one. That's, ooh, that's bad, Pastor Rob, can't believe you said that. So here's the offer that he makes. That's really, it's somebody just got it. That's like a hand grenade joke. It's going to go off in about 10 seconds there. And he offers this to them, and 
It's bizarre that a carpenter would offer fishermen this, but that's not the most bizarre thing. To me, the coolest thing and the most bizarre thing in the scripture is that they drop their nets immediately. And this isn't just that uh, I'm tired of holding the net. It's heavy. It's got fish in it. This is I'm walking away from my life. They drop the nets and say, sounds good, great deal, I'm in, and walk away and don't go back. And don't go back. That's crazy. Why would they do this? Why would they follow this? Jesus' call was to go and learn how to cast our nets into the river that is flowing downstream to hell and fish out as many people, hellbounders, lost people, as you possibly can. People who would heed the message because they're so far downstream already. Not people who think they're doing good, who kind of floating by slow water and think their life's together and think they don't need God, but the people that are in the rapids, in trouble, drowning, in trouble, I mean struggling, lost hope, in pain, going under, cast the net right there, you'll catch, catch the most. Why would anybody leave their life, they're making a living, they're feeding their family, for this? And if they learn well, they could... He goes on to say, here's what else is in it for you. If you learn this well, you can go into the family fishing business and you can go even further than I have, Jesus said. Did you know Jesus said, if you believe in me and you follow me, greater things than I've done you will do? What do you think that means? I don't think that means that you ought to jump out of the next boat you're in and try to walk on water. Say, I can walk on water. I can walk six inches above water because that's greater than what Jesus is. That's not what he's talking about. It doesn't mean that you're going to be more powerful and do, do these miracles that, that it could mean that. But it means that Jesus worked primarily, did he not, with 12 men to kind of spearhead this and get it off. After that, these guys worked with hundreds and even thousands. And the mission that Jesus came for, by the way, what did Jesus come for? I'm not sharp enough. He, he says what he came for, so I just follow that. What, did he ever say, I came to, did he ever, did he ever say it real blunt? Like that? I think he did several times. Hey, why'd you come, Jesus? Well, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Want to know Jesus' mission in a nutshell? He didn't say anything else. He, he hinted around about a lot of things we can do to become more like him. But when he said, my mission is, everybody's faced the wrong way. And they're going away from my father. I came to grab as many as I can and bring them home. And then I'm going to give this mission to you, and you'll be greater at it. You'll go further at it than I have. Some people are saying we lack faith because we're not doing greater miracles than Jesus did. And that's a misreading of this. Jesus isn't, doesn't want you to do tricks. Jesus doesn't want you to do miracles to impress people. He wants you to reach a lost and dying world. He wants you to care about the lost. So he wants you to go further in the family fishing business than he ever did. That's what matters to Jesus. And gang, this isn't like other businesses or, or pyramid schemes or something like that where you got to get in early. You ever seen those things? you got to get in early so you can be at the top of the pyramid and make the most money and all this. What's cool about this business is it doesn't matter when you get in. Everybody can be at the top. Everybody can do this business. Everybody can have results. Everybody can be fishers of men. And reach people. It's not so much that everybody can as much as everybody should. And if you're a believer, everybody has to. When you're born again, you're born into the family fishing business. So it's incredible. I always hear people say, well, I really can't, I really can't witness. I'm not, evangelism's not really my gift. Well, guess what? That's like not showing up for work and saying, I, I can't do this. Just give me a paycheck. This isn't really what I do. I'm not really good at that, but I will come and and uh, get the benefits. I will come at the end of the week and get the paycheck, but I really can't do this. I, I don't like this kind of work. You're in, gang. You're in. You're part of the family fish, fishing business. And it is the fastest growing, most impactful business mission in the history of the world. We ought to be fired up about it. A lot of people right now think that Islam is the fastest growing religion. That is not true. That is not true. The fastest growing religion is Christianity, and there's aspects of it that are blowing up. It's just persecuted around the country. There are places where you even to mention or even talk about it, you lose your life. But the other religion, that's Islam, that's being forced on people is not growing as fast. It never will grow as fast as Christianity, especially when it's not true in a lot of people's hearts because they're scared. They're following it because they have to follow it. But when something changes your life, it tends to explode. In fact, where countries are persecuted, Christianity grows faster. 
It's slowing down in America, dropping. It's blowing up in China. It's blowing up in Arab countries. You don't hear a lot about it because, again, their whole lives are at stake if they tell. So let's track this real quick. Can we do this? Let's track it from its humble beginnings. Acts 1.8. It's one of my favorite verses. And you will be. Who's you here? You is you. You is believers. You is Christians. So if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, this verse is talking about you. You might be my witnesses. No. You will be my witnesses. You'll be in the family fishing business. Telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem first, then throughout Judea and Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth. So if you're a believer, right away you're initiated, day one. You're supposed to be a witness. There it is, family fishing business. And all Christ followers are automatically a part of it. And yet, why is it that a whole lot of us have never showed up for work? Maybe, you, maybe you've heard the statistics before. This still bothers me, but it's something like 10 or 11 years, the entire planet would be reached for Christ, and the Lord could return because one of the things that's got to happen before Jesus returns is the uttermost part of the earth, everybody's got to hear the God. Everybody's, every people group, every lost tribe, every undiscovered group has got to have a chance. It's got to hear it. It's got to be out there, okay? You with me? Raise your hand if you're following me on this. All right, do you realize that if every single believer simply witnessed to one person their entire life, this would be done in about 11 years? That'd be it. We'd be done. Mission accomplished. One person. That doesn't count pastors and, and the Billy Grahams and the, and, the, and the people that reach thousands and thousands and thousands. That's not as effective as if everybody who's in the family fishing business just showed up for work. Just showed up and, and once, one day for work even, and then checked out and collected their paycheck. We'd reach the whole earth in 11 years. But imagine if you didn't show up. You're in the family fishing business. You didn't show up the first day. You didn't show up for on-the-job training with the Savior back then. You aren't a vital part of, of his local church today. The nets are bursting with fish. The harvest is bursting at the seams. And most churches don't have enough workers or don't have enough fishermen out there to bring it in, to bring in the nets. That's where Impact Church, one of the ways that Impact Church needs to be different. It's one of the ways that Impact Church has to be different. If Jesus loves the lost and we want to be like Jesus, you have to look at the lost and love them. There's some of you going, I hate them. I, 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 hate, I hate people in general. I don't like them. How can I do this? Here's one of the weirdest commandments in all of Scripture. Jesus over and over again, we just, we just read one of them. Here's one of the cases where it's at, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Is that a suggestion? It's called the great what? Commandment. So Jesus is commanding you to love God with everything you've got. And some of you, that terrifies you because you're going, I don't, how do I do that? How am I supposed to have butterflies in my stomach? How am I supposed to have this feeling towards God? You can't conjure that up. Yes, you can because it's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. When I, whenever I did marriage counseling or do marriage counseling <clears throat> now because apparently I'm back in the business, but when you do marriage counseling, one of the first things you do is say, you know what, why don't you, go, why don't you start with holding her hand again? I don't know. You can. They're acting like seventh graders. I don't want to hold her hand. I'm mad at her. Hold her hand. Now. So you hold her hand. Now, remember when you used to do that? Love is a decision. If you start acting, deciding, I'm going to love this person, start acting like that, you can, you can absolutely act your way into a feeling. You absolutely can. But there's no guarantee that you'll ever feel enough to start acting. Does that make sense? So when Hollywood tells us, you know, well, I left my wife because I feel for this one, that's a roller coaster you're never going to get off. You're never going to get off. There's some people in Hollywood that have been married 13 times. I'm going to get it right this time. No, you're not. 13 is an unlucky number. You're not going to get it right because you're just going by a feeling. You never went by an action. You can love anyone or anything if you set your mind to it. Some of you know this because you love a sport, you love a car, you love money, you love your spouse maybe too much. You love your kids more than you. You can put anything on the throne of your life and love it if you say, this is what I'm going to do, whether subtly or flat out. So the harvest is bursting at the seam, but Impact Church needs to be different. We've got to field fishermen <clears throat> and fisherwomen. Is that what you call them? You do now. That's what it is. Uh, how many of you were here for any part of Nehemiah? Raise your hand if you're here for that. Well, then, what am I saying? Find your place on the wall. 
If you weren't here for Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a great leadership book about building a wall around Jerusalem so that the people could worship again. Without fear and with security, getting that wall up was very, very important. All the people had to be involved in this. There wasn't a group that got to sit down and cheer on and go, that's great, man, you're a professional wall builder. That's not my thing. Everybody had to be on the wall doing their part. Right now, before we launch, officially as a church, we're trying to get everybody who comes here several weeks and goes, you know what, I love the mission, I love the vision, where's my place on the wall? That's a good question. I'm going to help you find it in the months ahead. And I promise you, in a church where everybody's on the wall, that church can explode and bring glory to God in a big, big way. Uh, Now, how are we going to reach a lost and dying world, those who are utterly without hope, uh, if we aren't even in the game? How are we going to reach a a lost and dying world if so many people, and America's unique, I don't know any other country that has this going on, if so many Christians feel like Christianity is a spectator sport. I'd love to figure this out. I don't know how we're going to do it, but a lot of people think we are. I'm, I'm a cheerleader. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to cheer on. How are we going to reach the world like that? Uh, through TV. Through the radio. Through people like you, Pastor Rob. You give the gospel. A lot of people come. I mean, last time it was like 100. Then 100 of us don't have to do anything. You made up for us. No, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. I told you if we're all doing it, it would be much more effective anyway. So go is the second of our five G's, and it's fitting that we talk about it second because one of the things Jesus said when he left was go and make disciples. Make disciples is grow. Just giving you a little hint of weeks to come. But let me ask you something. I want to hear your opinion. I like your opinion. Can we work on grow without, how how long before this mic freaks out? Tom, are you with me? Man, I'm I'm coming back. Is it going to buzz? This one never lets me down. Question, back row, Baptist, let me ask you guys. Is there a way for us to work on grow if we've completely ignored go? Is there, how, how, there are churches that say, some churches are evangelical, that's not really our thing. We're discipleship oriented. We're going to work on the, that would be whatever word they use. We're going to work on building disciples. I go, I'm fascinated by that. You're not evangelical. How are you going to do that? Who are you going to disciple? We're discipling each other. We're trying to grow. Well, what happens when that's done or off and going? Because one of the biggest things about being a disciple is that you make disciples, right? Isn't that what Jesus said, go and make disciples? Some of you are like, well, that's God's work. We can't make disciples. Well, he thinks you can because he said, go and make disciples. Well, isn't that God's work if we just plant a seed? Well, then plant a seed, and that's go. You have to tell people about Jesus or you have no recruits. You have no, if no lost people come in and come to know him, who are you growing? Who are you discipling? That's why we're not talking about grow this week. That's why we're talking about go this week because part of our DNA is we need to be an invite culture. We have to be as a church. So a couple of things in our values and our culture and our DNA that are non-negotiable that I've seen in my time at ministry that I will never... Uh, Never pastor a church again unless this is part of the DNA. And we'll take as long as we need to be. Two that come to mind right away is what we're talking about today, an invite culture. I'm going to tell you how we can do this in the launch phase. It's going to be challenging, but I'm going to tell you how we do it. And the other one is a house of prayer. It's got to be a house of prayer. We have to be a church that prays. Not a church where a couple people are on the prayer team. A church where everybody prays. Those two things are the two most important. There are others, but those are the most important things. <clears throat> So go. We've got to go and and tell people about Jesus before we can even look at grow. So a church with an invite culture. Jesus responded by telling still more stories. God's kingdom, this is Matthew 22, 1 through 10. God's kingdom, he said, is like a king who threw a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out servants to call in all the invited guests, and they wouldn't come. So Jesus starts telling the story because he's talking to them about being fishers of men, He's talking to people about caring about the lost, and he's getting blank stares, kind of like I am right now. Some of those stares are good. Some of them are deer in a headlight. And so Jesus shifts gears, and he goes, okay, so there was this man that was wealthy, and he threw a party, and he invited these guests. So think of a a nice embossed invitation, maybe to a wedding or something you've gotten like that, or graduation sent out, and it's sent to all the snobbery. It's sent to the people. Who do you send the wedding things to first? 
Who do you send the graduation things to first? Well, the ones that have the money so you can get good gifts, right? I mean, that's who you send it to first. I mean, you know, so-and-so, do we know him anymore? We haven't talked to him in 10 years, but I heard he's a millionaire. Send him one. We've got to send him one. We're going to get good stuff. But here's the problem. So he sent it to all these people that had their act together. They're really making something out of their life. People that are probably self-righteous. And what happened? What happened, gang? Are you with me? Are you listening? And I haven't even had, I've still got most of my Red Bull here, and I haven't even started. I will drink it. And put the fear of God in you. Well, what happened was he threw this big wedding banquet and he invited these, these highfalutin people and they didn't show. I've got better things. I mean, God's not really a priority. Here's the message Jesus is trying to say. They just didn't have a heart for it. They didn't care. So he sent out another round of servants instructing them to tell the guests, look, everything's on the table. I'm buying. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to tell you to come and pay this much for a ticket or whatever. I'm, it's all on me. The prime rib is ready for carving. Come to the feast. I like the way the message puts it. They only shrugged their shoulders. This is America. This is America. They only shrugged their shoulders and went off. One to weed his garden. Okay, one had to take care of his yard, mow yard. Another to work his shop. Another one to play golf. The rest were tailgating. The rest with nothing better to do beat up on the messengers and killed them. Okay, that seems extreme when you get invited to a party, doesn't it? You already asked me once. That's twice now. You're dead, boy. That seems extreme to me. So he beat up the messengers and then killed some of them. The king was outraged, and he sent his soldiers to destroy those thugs and level their city. Then he told his servants, now here we are. We have a wedding banquet, all prepared, but no guests have come into the I've been, the ones I invited aren't up to it. Go out into the busiest intersections that you can find in town and invite anyone you see to the banquet. Invite anybody that you see. The servants went out on the streets and rounded up everyone that they laid eyes on, good and bad, regardless. Didn't matter. And so the banquet was on and every seat was filled. Believe it or not, our whole strategy for how we're going to go and reach is right in that parable. The way not to do it and the way to do it. The invite, gang, was for everyone. The invite was for everything. They just opened it up. He's just saying that those who are lonely and hurting and hopeless are much more likely to come. If, if you're caught in a river and it's up to your knee and it's barely moving, I really don't think you're going to scream, help me, I'm drowning. You'll look like a fool. But if you're in the rapids and you fell over in a class 5 rapids and you don't know how to swim and you forgot a life jacket, what will you do if you can get one sentence out? You'll scream. That's it. You know you're in big trouble. Well, see, the ones that really want to be pulled in on the boat are the ones that fall in the rapids that can't swim. They don't need someone to sit down and go, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you're in trouble. I've watched the way you're kicking and really not swimming, and, and in my opinion, you'll be dead in five minutes. I'd like you to think about that, maybe go home and process it and then come back because, well, no, you'll be dead. But, but anyway, I don't want to push. No, you don't have to with them, do you? They're going to grab the boat, and if you stick your hand out there, they're going to rip it out of the socket of your shoulder trying to get in claw and get in that boat, right, because they know they're drowning. They know they're sick. They know they're hopeless. They know they're going through tough things in life. Jesus is just saying these people have everything going. Everything's perfect. They think they've got it all together. I didn't come for the healthy. It's not the healthy that need a physician. It's the sick. So Jesus is saying everybody that doesn't know him is lost and going to hell. He's not saying good people, I'm going to ignore them. He's not saying that, that he's saying self-righteous people, don't waste all your time on them. Still witness to them, but watch what happens when you just go out and are witness to everyone. It's the hurting. It's the lonely. Sometimes the best prayer you can pray for someone you're trying to reach is that God will bring some hard times in their life. Pastor, are you crazy? No, I, I've just never met a, someone whose life was going perfect who wanted to fix it. Hey, you need to fix your life. I ain't broke. But you don't know Jesus. Don't need him. Well, you need blessing. I'm a millionaire. We're not so healthy. I'm a perfect 10. I have a six-pack abs. I'm not talking about myself, obviously. But, I mean, is this going to get, are they going to hear you? No. But what happens when their marriage falls apart? Hey, my church is doing a marriage series, and I just thought you, it's funny. People that are struggling tend to show up at those things, right? People go, that's fine. We all see everything. They don't show up. Jesus is saying, I came. You're going to, one of the things you need to do is put your hope in them 
so that they have a renewed hope and they'll want the truth and they'll want me to save them. Other people think they don't need it. So let me tell you how we're committed as a church to seeing this through as a church. We want all impactors to be inviters. All impactors to be inviters. We need to be out in the world and telling them about the hope that we have, inviting them to impact church. And as a, as a lead team, we were talking about this. What's realistic? What's a challenge, but what's, what's a starting point? And I didn't even come up with this, but when we put this out there, everybody agreed. We thought, let's get everybody to pray and, and tenaciously attempt to get one person a month here to hear the gospel. I usually present the gospel about every four weeks or so in some way, shape, or form, and sometimes in a big, big way. That means bring some but one person a month. Now, some of you are going, that's nothing. I bring more than that now. Some of you are freaked out. You go, I've never brought a, one person a decade to church. Well, I think this is the kind of place where you can bring them and they're going, well, I don't want to dress up for church. Got that covered. Right? I mean, just put a shirt on and you're welcome. You can come, pretty much. Pants would be good, too, I think, on that. So it's a kind of environment you can invite people to, right? What would happen to this church? We actually did this about a month ago. If everybody that's, that calls at home right now were to invite one person a month and it, and it stuck, and it stuck, 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 we would, by our grand opening, within a year we'd have 1,800 people here, within a year. 1,800 people, because you're primarily going after what? Lost people. 1,800 people filling this church with the joy of brand new salvation. That's what's not happening in very many churches across the country. That's what makes for a great, great church. So <clears throat> I'm going to ask you at the end of the service to have a time to be thinking and praying about this. And that card, this week's a little different. We put those impact cards, those communication cards on every single seat. And I'm going to give you, I want everybody to take a hold of one of those and we'll give time at the end of the service. I'm going to give you a chance to commit to this, to pray about this and commit. Now, it doesn't mean I got someone here three months in a row. On the fourth month, they didn't come. Do I need to fall on my sword, Pastor Rob? No, you need to, you need to keep trying. And by the way, this isn't, I invited someone. It didn't work out. What would you do? I slipped a track with the address there. I never, they never even saw my face. I'm like the invite ninja. And then I just slipped out the back. Well, that's not it either. This is actually one person a month that you get in a chair here, in a chair, and, and give them a chance to hear God's truth. So when it, as we close out, I'm going to tell you how that we're going to do that. So our, our job to be great fishers of men, I'm going to tell you how to do this real quick, quickly with, some, with, some, uh, with four things in particular. Uh, so write these down. Even if you're not a note taker, you've got to get these. Four things we need to help give hope to this group I just talked about, the hopeless group. The group that knows they're in the wrap. It's the group that knows they're drowning. First, you've got to give them hope. You've got to give them a life jacket. You've got to throw that out, that rope. First thing is, we need a clear hope. Write that down. We need a clear hope. You can't give people a clear hope if you have a fuzzy hope. If your hope is foggy, if your hope is spread out, if your hope is in a million things, there's nothing strong. There's nothing there. Peter 3.15, it says, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, for the hope that you have. Normally, we talk about sharing our faith. Today, we, I, I want to talk about sharing our hope because I think that's what's wrong with witnessing. I'm going to share my faith. Your faith is Islam. Mine's Christianity. Let me share the differences in Christianity and Islam. That doesn't work. And by the way, that's not what you were called to do, right? When you become Acts 1-8, be my what? Witnesses. What's a witness game? What, what's a witness? If you're standing in a, at a traffic corner and you see two cars hit, crash, the policeman comes, they want to talk to you because you're a what? So what do you what, hey, Got some policemen here. What do you want to know from these people? Roy, what's that? What happened, right? What did you see? You know, if you want to talk to people in the accident eventually, what happened to you? How did this happen to your car? So what's Jesus asking you to do? Some of you I know are, are sitting back and stiffening up right now and going, I don't know enough about the Bible. I've never been to seminary. I don't have enough facts. I can't do this. Except the problem is, what did he ask you to do? You're a policeman, so no one, has anybody ever said, I haven't gone to enough college to tell you what happened in that accident? 
I don't have a master's degree in accidentology. I don't know what happened. Just No, they just tell you. A five-year-old can say what they saw, right? That's all Jesus asked. So Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Tell me about that. How were you before? What are you like now? What happened? What's changing your life? That's what you, if you can tell that, if that's truly happened in your life, you can be a fisher of men. You can be a fisher of men. That was my cast, I guess, is what that is. I think today what happens is we're more formula-oriented in our approach, and we feel like if I can't get the formula right, I can't do this. I can't be a witness because I don't know enough about the formula. Well, the thing about the formula is, number one, it's not effective. It doesn't work. And number two, Jesus didn't tell you to have a formula. I mean, you need to know his word. You need to know how to get around in it and some verses and be prepared. But tell your story. Tell your story first and foremost. Share your hope. Here's the cool thing about hopes. Everybody has them, right? Even if you're depressed. If you're a depressed person, I'll bet you have a hope somewhere. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed, Pastor. I don't really have many hopes. Here's one for you. Do you hope you're not depressed? Yeah, I, I just gave you one. Now you got one. Everybody has hopes. We hope the economy's going to turn around. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but some of you are probably sitting there going, I, I'm putting my hope in that. I can't get upbeat unless this economy turns around. Really, that's sad. Because what if it doesn't? There's no guarantees there. Uh, I'm, I'm putting my hope in a better job. I just interviewed. And if I get this thing, then, then what? What if you don't? What if you don't get it? So we put their hope in uh, finding Mr. and Mrs. Wright. I just meet that, that perfect person. That No. What if you don't? What if you do and you find out they're not exactly Mr. and Mrs. Wright after 15 minutes of marriage? Which happens. You put all your eggs in that basket, and that wasn't it. Some people put all their hope in the kind of car they drive in. Look at me. I'm styling. I'm cool, right? Look at my ride. Is that what you put? What do you put your hope in? Because it's hard to give a clear and focused hope to others if you're fuzzy and foggy and not clear on your hope. The problem with the world's hopes, as many as they have, is that they're pretty foundationless, aren't they? I mean, their foundations are, do this, your life will get better. No, there's no guarantees there. That you'll be able to pay your mortgage, there's not really any guarantee there. The world's hopes don't really amount to much if you think about it. A lot of it's wishful thinking. But if you follow Christ, he does say, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. He says, I'll take care of you. I don't guarantee to make you the wealthiest person in the world. You're not going to be Donald Trump, maybe. Maybe not, but he will take care of your needs. That's a guarantee. But for Christians, our hope is very different. Here's the definition I got from Andy Stanley years ago. Hope is an optimistic outlook based on powerful promises. That's worth writing down. Hope is an optimistic outlook based on powerful promises. So the world doesn't know what to put their hope in. It's flimsy. It's foundationless. But if you put it on the promises of God who cannot lie... I don't know about you, but if I'm going to give my whole life to a hope, I want a guarantee. If I'm going to live all out for something, I don't want 50-50. 50-50 is not worth living my life for. 100% is good. 100% is good. Well, God can't lie, so that's 100%. You know, the world works backwards. I was thinking about this a lot this week. The world has a bizarre way of coming up with hopes, and Christians are sometimes, honestly, the worst. Instead of living the Christian life the way the Lord told us to, we look for successful people. Watch this and see if it's not true. We look for successful people. Make sure there's no glaring skeletons in their closet. Assume they are blessed by God and then ask them how they got there. Right? Look at some of the best-selling Christian books. Look at a lot of them. Make sure this guy hasn't had five divorces Make sure, you know, watch this life. Look at the success here. It seemed to happen pretty quick. Hey, this guy's an athlete, athlete, whatever. Look at what we put on, and I think this guy's a pretty good guy, but look at everything we've dumped on Tim Tebow, right? Because he can throw a football. Well, he can't throw a football, but he can run, and he's good at football. And we've, so we put all that. He's going to be the greatest. Why? Because he puts, and I actually think he's a really great witness, but that's the foundation for it? That's what we're going to put it on? That doesn't seem like enough to me. 
So the world kind of works backwards. They look for somebody and go, okay, that's a great success story. Let them write a book now. But you know what comes out of that? That's dangerous because you ever heard of Deepak Chopra? Anybody heard of him? Hope I'm saying that right. Actually, I don't care if I'm saying it right or not. He has money. He's got things together. He's written 21 years times bestsellers. He's written 60 books. Been on Oprah a lot of times, so that makes him really good. He must be right. But, gang, he believes Jesus was just one great philosopher among many and that there are many roads that lead to heaven. When Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So God has a problem with what Deepak Chopra says. But the world looks at him and goes, but I'm looking at his life, and he's got everything together, so he must be right. They're looking backwards instead of looking forward on the life. Donald Trump seems blessed. So what's the answer? Is the comb over hair, is that it? Do we do our hair like that? Well, it's not worth it, by the way. You gave me a billion dollars, I'm not doing my hair like that. Oprah built a talk show empire. Does she have all the answers? Why not? Look at her. She was a billionaire. Probably still is a billionaire. She also believes all roads lead to heaven and that Jesus is not the Son of God. But she's successful. She looks blessed. Isn't that God blessing her? Well, I think in her case, with what she believes, no. I think it's just the empire she built in her own strength. So what's going on here is we're looking for examples of success only by the world's standards, and then we make sure they have a nice-looking family, lots of money, reasonable health, never been in trouble by the law, and then we tell their story backwards and have them write a book about it. Instead of looking at true, joy-filled Christ followers and how they live or have lived or the Word of God. Instead, we use the 2020 hindsight of these other people and we call it gospel. Well, friends, Jesus didn't come to locate all the lifestyles of the rich and famous people and say, I'm going to bless them because I'm going to just keep blessing them. Look, they're, they've got it together. So I'm just going to put a stamp on them and say, that was me, I did that. He didn't come to reach all the MTV crib crowd. He actually came for the VH1 Where Are They Now crowd. That's who he came for. He came for the messed up housewives of Charlotte. He came for them. He came for swamp people. He came for train wreck folks. That's who he came for, the hopeless. The people who think they have it all together are very hard to reach. They're not unreachable, but they're very hard to reach until they are broken and realize they need God. Matthew 9, 12, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He came not for those who can look back and say, You know, I'm blessed because I made all the right moves. He came for those whose pasts haunt them, who believe they're too messed up to be saved, who believe they're probably too bad to be good, too rotten to be harvested. He came for those. Because honestly, you can't reach out for God until you realize that no one's good but God. No one on earth. So you have to have a clear, focused hope. How do you know if it's focused? Obviously, if we're going to share that hope, we've, we've got to have a hope that's clear in our own eyes. God's promises, here's how you know if it's focused. God's promises cannot be crammed in your pocket with your lucky penny. They can't be crammed in your pocket with your four-leaf clover and your lucky rabbit's foot and every other thing that you're putting your hope in and say, my hope is in Jesus and this, 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 and this. That's not a clear hope. Now, what happens if you offer the world Jesus and this, 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 and this? You just watered down the Savior, didn't you? He says he's the only hope and the only way. You offer him all these other things, they might not pick Jesus. Or they're going to pick the wrong Jesus. They're going to pick Jesus the philosopher and the good man who's not God. That's not Jesus. Almost every major religion has a Jesus. They describe Islam believes in Jesus. They believe he faked his death on the cross. He didn't really die either. That's not Jesus. That's a made-up story. How do I know if I got my hope sharply focused? What makes me confident in new and difficult situations? I want you to think about that. In a new and difficult situation, what makes you confident? Don't say it out loud, but think about it. Because the answer to that question will tell you whether your hope is sharply focused and what it's focused on. The answer to that question. Or whether it's fuzzy and not clear. And answer honestly. What is it that gives you hope in a new and difficult situation? Sometimes it's the strength of my resume, right? i got a strong resume. I can make it. 
than your hopes and your resume. Okay. Well, they're so clear on that. Like I said before, sometimes it's the car you pull up in. I look good. That, okay, well, it's, in a, it's pretty dumb, but it's in a car. The fact that you're having a good hair day. Have you met these people? I look good. If my hair's not good in the morning, I'm not, I don't know if I, if it looks good, it's going to be a good day. Well, then your, your hope's in your hair. What does that say for Donald Trump, by the way? I'm just going back to him a lot. I'm just, I, I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why we have hope. Peter says, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Put your hope in that. Number two, we need to personalize, we need personalized reasons. Okay, everybody's hope's the same who's a believer in Jesus Christ, but you need personalized reasons. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Hey, I was, you know, I was going down this road here. I was addicted to drugs. I, you know, I gave my life to Christ. I tried everything. I tried rehab. I tried, nothing worked. I found Christ. I wa- Well, then that's your story, right? But the hope's still the same, isn't it? The hope is Jesus Christ. But your story is, he gave me hope when drugs were taking me down. My marriage was falling apart. Nothing would work. Went to counseling. We were separated on the verge of divorce. I went to a marriage series. I heard about Jesus Christ. Gave my life to Christ. Started leading the family. And my marriage is put back together. Jesus saved my marriage. Well, that's still Jesus is the clear and focused hope, right? But that's your hope, personally defined. That's now your story. Okay, so tell a clear hope and your story personalized. Anything else is just using techniques, and that's not what God called you to. They don't work. Some people just want to throw cliches and bumper sticker slogans at people. Can we just determine once and for all that that's a train wreck that looks something like this? Take a look at it. Oh, four, excuse me. Oh, no, four, seven. That's God's number. That's why you're going there, or that's no, I um, dislike it. The um, the the button there says uh, case of emergency. Push that button. I too. If I have an emergency, I press a different button. Jesus. There is no Jesus button. Well, it's you don't you don't see it out out here. It's um. It's it's more of a it's a button I have on the inside. Gross. No, no you. Um, those uh, those those glasses work for you pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they help you see. Yeah, you better look good without. Yeah, I I too, what once was was blind, but uh, but now I see. I wasn't blind. I Wait. was just nearsighted in sure. one eye. I just, I can see now because I, I was, I was in darkness, but now I'm not. It's, it's not a glasses thing. Contacts. What? Spiritual contacts. I. Uh, do you, um, do you like talking to people in the elevator? Is, is this? Well, you know, I. I love silence. Sure. Could I, could I ask you a question? Do you, if, if you were to die tonight, do, do you know where you're going? Great. No. It is hot in here. Oh, you think it's hot here. You do not want to go to hell. Brother, this isn't your floor. Blessings. I think we got this one. Okay. Awkward. Awkward. So that's a formula. That's taking things. The only one that I know that could do that really good, and I've met a few people that can do that. Jesus did that great, right? He meets a woman at the well. He talks about water. He meets Nicodemus. He talks about simple things because he was too cerebral. He did it all the time. Most people can't do that. That's why Jesus says, just start where you are. Tell your story. Be a witness. So next, three, we need to be gentle with people. Gentle and sincere. Not the last thing he did there. It's hotter hotter in here, but it's hotter in hell. That's not gentle. 
Let's not get into knowing where they're coming. First Peter 3, 15 and 16, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Is that possible that people picking on you and slander you could actually feel bad about it? Yeah, if your behavior matches, if your walk matches the talk. I love the fact that nowhere in Peter's letters it found that you need to be someone with an outgoing personality. It doesn't say that. You don't have to have this sanguine personality. You don't have to be an extrovert. You can be an introvert. You just need to be gentle and sincere and tell your story. But he said, do this with gentleness, respect, keeping a clear conscience. In other words, don't fake it. Don't fake it. Who you are when you witness and who you're saying you are ought to be who you are all the time. Let me skip down quickly to the last one here. We'll wrap it up. We need to maintain confident courage. Confident courage. Raise your hand if you've ever tried to tell somebody about Christ, but you ba- and this is okay, and I'm going to start off with this one, but you backed off because you got scared. That's all. There should be a lot of hands on this one. You tried to, it was coming out bad, so you just, just kind of backed off. I've done it before. I've also had times that were incredibly petrifying where I forged ahead. I've had times where I shared Christ and people got saved, and it was horrible. I've heard the tape, and I'm going, that, I don't even know what that was. I don't know how anybody could find Christ and what I said, and they did. Because the Holy Spirit intervenes, just do it. It's a, it's a Nike thing. Just do it. God promises, I'll make you fishers of men. You don't read a manual about it, except God's Word, and He talks to you there. So 1 Peter 3, 19 through 20 now. Jesus went and proclaimed God's salvation to earlier generations who ended up in prison of God's judgment because they wouldn't listen. You know, even though God waited patiently all the days that Noah built his ship, only a few were saved, eight to be exact. Now, I'm going really long here, but one of the greatest illustrations, and I heard this years ago, I cannot remember who said this, but he took apart the old guy who lived to be 600 years old who kids hear about Noah and the ark, And he said, here's why I know every single person alive can be a witness. Here's how I know. Rob, let me just show you what happened with this guy. So let me show you real quick. And I know we're going long here, but this will kind of take away the argument people have that I can't do this. Noah preached the gospel for how long? Anybody know how long did it take him to build his boat, his ship? 120 years. He didn't have much of a crew, only a couple of his sons working on it, and it was a fairly big ocean liner that he built. 120 years. The Bible tells us Noah lived, and he didn't just build a ship. It says he was a preacher of righteousness. Did you ever catch that part? Noah and his sons didn't just build this huge boat where there was no real ocean or anything to sail it on, and it hadn't ever rained. But while they're building this boat, they are preachers. He is, at least. Noah always had to be prepared to give the reason. Didn't I just read that? Always be prepared to give your personalized reason. So Noah had to do that too. He had to give reasons. Why are there two rhinos in my garage? Let me tell you why. Why are there giraffes in my backyard? Why are there Komodo dragons back there? Why are there less puppy dogs in the neighborhood because of those Komodo dragons? Why do I have this? Because here's what's coming. Here's my story. Here's what God told me to do. And it was an incredibly good story, so it was an incredibly successful ministry reaching the lost, wasn't it? I mean, this guy was an amazing evangelist. You know how many people got saved? Beside his family. Let me hold on. i got to calculate. I'm like a walking calculator. I'm a math whiz. Let me add this up. Zero, <laughs> he preached for 120 years and nobody, nobody came to Christ. By the way, in the New Testament, Christ talks about it. Who was it with him back then? It was God, but it was Jesus. It's called a theophany. That was Jesus with Noah. So Noah's got a message. He's got an incredible story. He's building his ship. He's telling people God's going to destroy the world. Jesus is with him, and he has no converts. He has no converts. Here's the quick things right here. Letter A, if Noah had Christ with him, so do you. Okay? God's with you when you witness. If Noah had him there with this incredible story, then you do too with your story. Next, if Noah didn't have to produce results, neither do you. Preach for 120 years, a horrible evangelist. He's an evangelistic repellent. That's what Noah is. Nobody came to faith with him. He's just being obedient. Some of you are like, I've witnessed my life. No one's ever come to the Lord. Well, God will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not your job to save people. You can't. 
You just tell your story. God brings the fruit. I mean, sometimes, you know, when I've preached, I've given the gospel and a lot of people have gotten saved. I've given the gospel and nobody's gotten saved. Doesn't, doesn't bother me. I'm being obedient. I'm casting the net. He saves them. He saves them, not me. Next, C and, and then D and then we're done, I promise. If Noah could handle the insults and the persecution, guess what? So can you. So can we, right? So I don't want to do it. What if they make fun of me? Try his life. He was a walking freak show. You're building a, an ocean liner in your yard, and people are going by. I guarantee you that was one of the seven wonders of the world. Hey, come see Noah. He's building his ship. Hey, Noah, what are you going to put on that? Are you going to put floodlights on there? <laughs> Everybody's making fun of him. He's the biggest joke in town. If he can take it for 120 years, can you take it? By the way, that's probably the worst thing that's going to happen to you in America, right? It's probably the worst thing that's going to happen to you. Somebody might go, you're a Jesus freak. Oh, stop. The pain. Get the knife out. I don't know if I'll live through that. You hurt me. That's the worst thing. They're probably not going to throw you in prison yet in this country for proclaiming Christ. So be ready to do this. That's probably a good place to end. Father, thank you for these foundational truths, Lord. God, I thank you that you made your word simple, Father, and Lord, I thank you that it's, it's not a puzzle, Lord, or something do we spend our life trying to unravel and understand, God. It's a simple act of obedience. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to get a degree, that we don't have to figure you out because we can't possibly hope to do that, but we are commanded to just tell our story. Father, help us to know the simple truth is that a child, a small child, can tell their story. Anyone can do it. God, just fill us with a love for lost people so that we do do it. And I pray that you would grow this church by new conversion, Lord, and it would be a, a fragrant incense to you. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. See you next week.